Welcome to Event Experience by Bizabo, the podcast where we bring the best and brightest event experience leaders together to share stories, tips, and lessons learned from creating some of the world's biggest events. I'm Rachel Moore, your podcast host. In this episode, we're getting you ready for the rest of this year with no data left behind, strategies for transforming post-event data into 2024 event success. Our strategists, Jonathan Wolf, Global Events Manager at Lenovo, and Nicola Kastner, founder of The Event Strategist. We're about to embrace data like never before, acknowledging the challenges we face in analyzing event data, recognizing the pitfalls and potential of using AI in data processing, and learning how to apply data to our future strategies. It's about to get serious, this relationship we all have with data, and it's all starting right now on Event Experience. Hello, everyone. I'm Rachel Moore. I'm super excited to be here with you today. Welcome to No Data Left Behind, Strategies for Transforming Post-Event Data into 2024 Event Success. Yes, it's 2024. It's actually the second month of 2024 already, which is a little hard to believe. I'm still trying to adjust to it. But welcome to 2024. In this session, we're going to explore how to turn your post-event insights, particularly from 2023, into plans for 2024. We're also going to talk about how to use AI to uncover trends and actionable insights. I know that's been a hot topic, like literally everywhere. Our goal today is to equip you with knowledge and practical tips all the time. We're going to focus on letting you meaningfully analyze and use event data which is easier said than done, am I right? We're also gonna understand methods for data interpretation. Leveraging AI tools, which if you're not doing that already, you probably wanna get on that horse, right? Leveraging those tools for trend analysis and data interpretation. And we wanna turn data insights into a future-proof event strategy. Imagine that. We're gonna give you all the things here today. We're also going to talk about data-driven event planning best practices, real-world examples, how meaningful data analysis drives event success and more. And I know we're packing in a lot today. We'll also look at solutions to tackle common issues, including how so many of us tend to look at the data quickly in the post-event debrief, and that's it. We then move on quickly to the next event. Maybe we don't leverage all that data in our planning. No more of that. We're going to leverage that data from now on. Okay. Without further ado, let's begin our journey. It is my pleasure to introduce today's speakers first. Let's welcome Nicola Kastner, founder of The Event Strategist. It's a consultancy firm which offers event strategy advisory services to global brands to help them successfully optimize their event experiences to drive bottom line results. We all want those results. Prior to launching her consulting practice, Nicola held various roles on both the brand and agency sides of the business, including most recently serving as the Global Vice President of Event Marketing Strategy for SAP. Uh, Nicola is a self-professed data nerd. That's why we have her on today. We love those nerds. And her happy place is playing with data in an Excel spreadsheet. I cannot relate with that at all. <laughs> she has also been a featured guest on Event Experience, uh, Bizabo's podcast, and she's featured in our book, Event Success, and 
Her go-to event day shoes are designer sneakers. Thank you so much for having me. Next up, we have John Wolf, Global Events Manager at Lenovo, and he's bringing over 10 years of strategic expertise in event planning and has proof on his LinkedIn of working with Shaquille O'Neal for a VIP event. Yes, you should go check that out. He crafts and executes global strategies, emphasizing data-driven approaches for ROI optimization, and John specializes in curating impactful moments, guiding events from conceptualization to execution, creating immersive brand experiences that leave lasting impressions on attendees. That's what we all want, right? And John's go-to event day shoes, and I hope I get this right for those of you who are going to Google this later, Cole Hahn Zero Grand Stitch Light Wing Oxfords. Very stylish. Thanks for having me, Rachel. Thank you very much. Let us dive into the conversation without further ado. All right. Because of our amazing content and marketing teams, we all know why we're here today to talk data. Even if we might not be great at gathering it or even understanding it or using it, we all know we need it. On a personal note, and if there's any Star Trek fans out there, I used to post a picture of the Android data at my desk and it had the caption data matters because I was really trying to emphasize to everybody, I'm like, data needs to be the thing we're always looking at. And of course, data was like one of the best and most valuable characters on Star Trek. The saying goes that those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. There's another saying, doing the same thing over and over while expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. Okay. Neither sounds very good, which is why we all really need to comprehend the value of post-event data to avoid doom. Uh, so let's learn from our panel of experts. Nicola, I'm going to go to you first. Can you share with us an example of how you used past event data to make significant improvements to an event afterwards? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, that second statement, if I could just say, was the screensaver on my computer at SAP. I used to say it all the time and people would be like, but stop. You read in my bio, I'm a big data nerd. And I honestly believe it was the differentiator in my career. I'm really passionate about it. And I spend a lot of time speaking about it and talking about it on LinkedIn because I feel very strongly that if we as an industry lean into our data, we will all become better what we are. And if I, before I answer your question, Rachel, if I could just take a little quick segue, there's all this excitement about the C-level roles of events today, but in order to be a C-level executive, you have to talk about the business of events, not the events business. And this is something I talk about all the time in my posts. And there is a distinction and data is a big part of that. My job when I was at SAP because my peers and my colleagues were super busy running the events day in and day out. That was my job to look at the data. I know not every team has a luxury to look, have somebody that's responsible for looking at the data and using that to interpret strategies, but it's super important. I just can't stress that enough. So for me, there's so many examples that I can give, but I actually start with data before. I think mm. you have to start with your post-event data before your event. You have to understand what your objectives are and your objectives tell you what data to collect because there's I don't know, 150 plus data points in events. That's too much. That is so much noise. So if you don't know what you're supposed to be collecting and what's going to tell you what's made your event successful, it's just noise and it's so overwhelming to, to comb through. So starting with objectives and what success looks like and then 
lead, that leads you to the right metrics to measure and the right insights post event. But for me, traditionally, I look at who comes to our events. I use registration questions. I think they can be really powerful, especially for paid events to ask two or three really targeted questions about who's coming and why are they coming? That's mm -hmm. incredible insights that you can use and maybe not in the moment because by the time registration goes live, most of the event is baked, but you can use that for next year to really understand who are your attendees. And if you take that data and segment it down more to you know, different personas, different industries, different levels, whatever the data, however each organization wants to capture and categorize that data, that segmentation even gives you greater insights. Mm -hmm. Those are things that you can use to move forward in future years. When I was at SAP, I'll give you an example. Our registration data told us that people were coming to meet with experts, which they weren't coming to be sold to, obviously, right. but they wanted to meet the experts and the experts could be the channel that we use to, to enable the sales process that the event was designed to support. So we were able to take that data and build it into every element of the event design in the future year. So that's just one example. It's an excellent example too. And like you said, I think we all know the goal is to sell to people. It's ultimately why it's part of your funnel, but they told you right out, Hey, I want to meet experts. So there's nothing saying you can't do both at the same time where you're incorporating that approach into that funnel step, but that's great. Thank you so much for that example. John, I did just want to give you an opportunity. If you had anything you wanted to share too, about using past event data, if you had an example you wanted to share, or we can jump right into the next question about challenges around, around analyzing data. How about you? What's a, what's a way that you've seen some data like used it for future event? Yeah, I think when I look at the data for me, it's what is, who is the target audience that's going to be there? That's important to our business. That's relevant to us. Some of the challenges that we are running into is the standardization of the data and the objectives. Again, we want to start with the objectives because that's what really lets us set the goals, measure the data, not only from past, but moving into the to the future events. And what Nicola says about measuring that data is important. I think the type of data that we're looking at to make sure that it's consistent and standardize the data is registration forms, badge scanning, feedback surveys. It's not just important about what are we doing pre-event, but how are we driving surveys afterwards? That could be towards people that stop by the booth and engage with us. That could be internal surveys to measure, did we show up and effectively reach our objectives and our goals, or where did we fall short, taking it a step further as far as social media. What did we develop pre-event during measuring the impressions or the likes or the engagements? I know there's a debate on how we measure social when it comes to events, meetings, that's super important for us. So it's not only here's what we're going to do at this event, but how are we driving meetings on site? How many are we looking to establish? So I think when we look at the data, it's just first off creating the standard, what are our objectives? What are we planning to measure? And sometimes look, we do events, they don't work, we get rid of them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's, we don't have the data to use for next year because we found that it wasn't successful and we stopped right there. Other right. times we have that historic data where we can year, use year over year. And I think once we have that historic data, just making sure that 
it's standard across and you have the buy-in from your internal stakeholders that say, yes, these are four things that are important for me or no, this one isn't as important. And that might be social media impressions. Yeah. I really appreciate that you brought that up too. And I heard common thread throughout your whole answer there too. You mentioned standardization and I want to kind of segue that too into my question for you. What are some common challenges in analyzing and applying that past event data? You mentioned a couple. Standardization, are we all looking at the same data and understanding the same thing? What happens if we're, you know, we don't have historical data because you decide you did an event, the data told you not to do that event anymore or that same kind of events, you stop. What are some of the other challenges or common challenges you're seeing as far as like when we need to analyze and apply data and can we even overcome those challenges? Yeah, like I said, it's really that standardization. But once we have that, it's making sure that we have alignment from the relative stakeholders. And if it's we're seeing success from that, okay, let's then analyze that for the next year. We have a few events that are coming up in March. We've used the data from June to be able to set that standardization so that we can ultimately have that benchmark. And then that we know moving into pre-planning, these are what we had from last year in order for us to hit that same goal. What can we do differently to move the customer journey from maybe awareness to consideration conversions? How we're overcoming that is just the integrated data management and looking at the data analytics through Power BI, through Dynamics, whatever you have at your disposal. It could be an Excel sheet that you're just tracking. Um, I think that's how we're overcoming it. We're setting the process, we're setting the foundation so that we have some type of tool in place for us to be able to have that historic data to use as that benchmark for us to improve. It's interesting you bring that up. There's a piece of this that's about general brand awareness. There's also the piece that it's part of the sales funnel and you're trying to make sure those two align. And then I like that you just mentioned, and Nicola, I'm sure you agree too, where there's that cascading down. How do you make sure that the events team is seeing the data, whether that's Power BI or Excel or whatever you've got it in, but then it is getting translated down throughout the rest of the team so they understand how the data impacts what they do. Any comment on that about making sure there's that visibility to the same data across the board? Of course. So I actually just wrote a post about this on LinkedIn today. So the timing is perfect and it's a total coincidence. But when you think about objectives, there's two types of objectives. There's success objectives, right? What is success about the event? And those generally fall into four categories. You've got brand and awareness. You've got sales impact. You've got financial performance. And then you've got engagement. Those are the four big buckets. And within those, there's different categorizations of objectives. Those are success. Those are what your senior stakeholders care about. Then there's mm -hmm. other objectives that I consider and call diagnostic metrics. That's where you're looking at how did your content perform? How many demos did people go to? Were your sponsors happy? How much interactions did they have? Those are the things that tell you why. They don't tell you if it was successful. So understanding the difference between the two is critical. You don't, in many cases, you don't, you shouldn't report the why up to your senior stakeholders. They want to know the success story. And if you've aligned that in advance, that's way better. But your teams and your event teams need to understand the why and the detail mm -hmm. and the nitty gritty. So it's almost a two-tier strategy as far as I'm concerned. 
Nice. All right. We, I know we've got to keep moving on through the rest of our, our questions, but these were excellent. Thank you so much. Very insightful. Let us move into AI. I bet if most of us, me included, would answer that we can write a mean chat GPT prompt. Oh yeah. Mean is an awesome. We need more AI. We need more of our data analysis needs to be better too. Let's move beyond the write an event description prompts and into how our experts are using AI with data. John, going to you first. As AI continues to mature and as we mature with it, what biases or biases should event planners be watchful for as we ask AI to process and extrapolate post-event data? What's out there? What should be red flags, pitfalls to watch out for? Yeah, so it's funny. Who knew our, our silicone friends could develop such a strong opinion about which hors d'oeuvres to use or that are trendy compared to keynote speaking speakers being overrated. I think to, to your question, when I think about the biases that we are facing, it really comes down to four really that are, that I think it's selection bias. So again, the certain type of data or attendee demographics may be being skewed as we converse with ChatGPT and we ask the question, we're facing some biases on attendee demographics. And that's important to know your target audience and having those conversations with the show organizers to understand how that can relate to you, confirmation bias, so existing assumptions that's, that are present in the data, data biases as well, what's population as it represents at the event, and then obviously the historical bias. There are numbers that we get from show organizers that are not as accurate as we are led to believe sometimes. So again, it's doing a due diligence, taking on that role of chat GPT as an event planner and you asking the questions to show organizers and making sure that you are getting all that historical information that you can use then to make those informed. But to your question, Rachel, it's the selection confirmation data and historical biases. Yeah. Tons out there too. And for those of you that might be a little bit new to this, it is, it's a lot harder than just popping in a question and asking ChatGPT or any other AI or tool you're using. There's always those considerations. Um, Nicola, before I ask you a little bit more too about how smaller organizations can use AI effectively, any comment there too about some biases that you're wary of when it comes to using AI? AI is a big, needy topic that could be several conversations here, <laughs> but I think what's really important, and I think your comment about writing a mean cheap ET prompt, I would love, I wish I'd thought about this earlier, I would hazard a guess that many people don't know how to do that. We're still in the okay. infancy stages of that. And I think that's where we are with AI overall. A generative, it's been around forever. Let's make no mm -hmm. mistake. Like you use Uber, you're using AI, you use Google Maps, AI has been there. It's generative AI and access to generative AI for the every individual that's new, but organizations mm -hmm. don't know how to use it yet, right? right? It's like when the internet came out in the early nineties, people were not allowed to use the internet. In many cases, people in corporations are not allowed to use ChatGPT to support them. So we have this conversation about, hey, how do you use AI? And we talk about all these things and they're like, I can't even touch the thing. So what does that mean? So for me, I segment AI into two categories. I look to my providers, my tech providers, to me it's table stakes. AI needs to be built into their applications to give me the insights that I need from the data that they have for my event because they've already gone through InfoSpec, right? Mm -hmm. That's one of the things. 
The other is when you're looking at ChatGPT, there's all these privacy considerations. I don't work in a big corporation anymore and I have my own business, but I can't upload my clients' data to ChatGPT and say, hey, analyze this and tell me if it's right. But <laughs> we still don't know what's feeding the beast and feeding the machine right. yet. And I'm not gonna put any of my clients' um, data in there at this point. I use ChatGPT all the time. I'm a big fan mm -hmm. of it. I use it for writing inspiration. But I just think we have to be really careful when we talk about and think, make everybody feel like I should be embracing this because we are still so new. Our organizations are getting ready to use it. There's some amazing resources out there that, that talk about this dynamic that make me feel better about where we are in our industry with it because it's not just us, it's every industry. That yeah. said, AI can be incredibly effective in our vendor tools like mm -hmm. to tell us, help us make in intelligent decisions and give us insights that are beyond even what we could figure out on our own. Yeah. So if I think about pre-event, AI can drive efficiency and productivity. If I think about during, it's really about personalized experiences. And then post big data objectives, reporting fanatics, helping mm -hmm. to segment the data, figure out the right insights, especially at that diagnostic level, right? Like just yeah. because somebody one session only had seven people, if they were the right seven people, maybe it was a success. So these are things that are beyond necessarily the human capabilities that AI can help us, as well as content reposting. That's where I, mm. that's where I see huge value in AI and helping us figure out how to take snippets of our content and make them consumable. I'm sorry, I got on a little bit of a high horse about it, but it's something I feel so, so passionate about because we're not behind as an industry. Nobody knows how to use it effectively at an enterprise level yet. We'll be right back with more event experience after the break. Ever wished your event badge did more than just display your name? Whether you're an event organizer, exhibitor, or attendee, Visibo's Click Smart Badge transforms the event experience. From interactive networking to real-time attendee insights to lead capture, the Smart Badge is the ultimate game changer for the events industry. Visit visibo.com click that's B-I-Z-Z-A-B-O dot com slash K-L-I-K to learn more about the next generation of wearable event technology. Visibo, your partner for building conferences that captivate. We're back with more event experience where our guest experts are about to share their best recs for generative AI prompts. Do you have any suggested prompts? If you had to write a prompt into AI to work on event data, do you, can you think off the top of your head, like what would you use as a prompt to ask it to do it? John, I'll go to you first. Yeah. Yeah. And just to, before I get to that question. So one of the things that we actually saw corporate wise was a, as you use ChatGPT, refrain from using company name in the prompt. Mm -hmm. We actually heard that Samsung leaked their future warehouse facility into ChatGPT, and that is what everyone then gravitated with. Okay, Samsung is going to have this location. We know now where they're going. And so from a corporation-wise, they've instructed us, you can use it, but refrain from putting company name mm -hmm. in there because to your point, we don't know 
what's feeding the beast and where this information going is going and it, it is public. So yeah. it's just making sure that the security is there, not only for you as the user, but for that company. To, to your question, I think there's a number of prompts from identifying the trends. How can AI analyze or help me analyze feedback and engagement data, predictive analysts, so how can help me evaluate historic, historical event data from X event to predict future attendance around the session, also around content curation. I think that's one of the biggest things that we struggle with is how can we make sure that we're getting a plethora of people to this session versus just the six people and help mm. me recommend a title, abstract content, or I'm developing a presentation, I need to develop four slides help me fill this and not chappy chat GPT, but it's called gamma G A M M A. It's actually a PowerPoint chat GPT where you can actually put in a prompt on developing a pitch deck or a sales presentation, help me fill it out. And it'll actually tell you, okay, here's the prompt. It will populate recommended slides. If it's a pitch deck, okay, slide one's going to be this slide two, this, et cetera. And then you need to tweak that obviously, but, leverage these resources that are out there, not from a, it's going to take my job in two years, three years, but the more I can be versed in large language models, generative AI, the more that I can put forth and add my tool toolkit or my toolbox, so to speak. I was just going to say, couldn't agree more just because it's maybe not necessarily widely embraced at the enterprise level. It will be. So the more that you personally can take the time to learn, to understand, have to embrace, to drive your own efficiencies will put you so much further ahead. Yeah. Visible even has a whole blog about suggested AI prompts that you can use as an event planner. You know what? We've got to move on to our next topic because time is flying and so is data. I was thinking about data. It's a really great dating relationship. I'll explain. It, I think it's super important to not misread what it's telling you. <laughs> you need to invest plenty of time and attention into it, and you need to let it help you be better in the long run, a good dating relationship. So let's date some data with this next set of questions for our experts. Nicola, I'm going to you first. Can you briefly share your process for interpreting a key event data metric or two, and then how do you convert them into new strategies and plans? Wow, that's a meaty question. So mm -hmm. let's, it depends on the objective. Let's pick one. Let's pick accelerating the existing pipeline. Very common one in, in a lot of B2B events. If the objective is to accelerate existing pipeline, we need to, number one, make sure we got the right pipeline there to accelerate. Number one. So that's the first strategy, like your data and your objectives drive your tactics. So how do we make sure that we enable the sales team? Because truly as event professionals, we don't own those relationships. How do we make sure that we get the right pipeline at the event? That's about creating sales enablement. When they're at the event, what do we need them to do? John mentioned meetings. Meetings is one of the most critical components of whether it's a hosted proprietary event or even a third-party flight or a trade show, meetings are critical. So how do we design the right meeting program to get the right people there, to have the right conversations? And then post-event, how do you analyze those inputs to determine, did it work? What should we do differently in the past, in the future? In the future, I'll give you an example. A client I was working with would report that we have X percentage of the registrations are big deals. 
hmm. that have registered. And I was like, that's great. But what percentage of your big deals overall does that X percentage represent? If that's 1% of your big deals, that's not a metric that you should be proud of, right? Mm-hmm. So flip the script, think about the business. I talk often about the business of events versus the events business. Think about the bigger picture and then how events can support it. Excellent. I think what so many of our event planners, you're a consultant for the people who are stakeholders in the event. They may say, oh, this, let's go for this metric, but you're like, okay, but no, let's dissect that a little bit. What are we really talking about here and helping them realign those expectations? John, I want to go over to you because that, that to me feels like it segues into this next question. Red flags. Have, what red flags have you seen when it comes to event teams and even the extended event teams and stakeholders ignoring or misreading post-event data. It goes back to what we were saying earlier about standardization is everybody looking and seeing the same thing. But what are some red flags that you've seen event teams and their extended teams do? What data are we talking about? No, just kidding. The issues are the red flags that I've seen. So that we know better attitude when event planners Mm -hmm. brush off data with a confident wave. They're not really focusing on what's happening post-event, it's we did this event, the stakeholder is happy, okay, but we need to analyze and make sure that we have that foundation. I see this all the time, the cherry-picking strategy, so we're selecting Mm -hmm. the data that supports the preconceived notion or desired outcome versus it didn't work. We're not going to highlight that. We're going to just focus on the highlights versus those lowlights, the one-size-fits-all approach, so applying the same old strategies event after event, regardless of what the data is saying to us. Again, example here, we did an event in London. We were sold, and I'm sure everyone listening and watching this is the same way. This event is going to bring in this result with these attendees. So we we did that. We had the sponsorship. When we got the data post-event, when in fact only 25% of the attendees were our target audience. And so that Mm -hmm. was the, it's not going to work for us. Let's cut the loss here and right. make the note that, hey, it didn't work and we're going to measure those lowlights and the highlights. And then obviously that last point that I made the joke about is what data? Sometimes data <laughs> mysteriously just vanishes. Can I just quickly add on that? If we want to change the narrative about our industry, we can't have that attitude that it's not my job. I shouldn't care about the data. At the end of the day, every single event is designed to drive a business outcome, whether it's internal or external. And if we continue as an industry to perpetuate that, we are not going to advance and we will be the first to be cut. And so I'm very passionate about it because events are powerful and we weren't, it was proved when they were taken away during the pandemic, event event teams have to lean into the data if they can't. Mm -hmm find partners in their organization that can help them or find partners externally that can help them and build it in as a line item of the budget. Saying you don't have time can't be an excuse anymore. Definitely agree. And hopefully too, we just, the last topic we just talked about was AI. Some of these tools out there that can help do some of the heavy lifting for you. We're all strapped for time, right? Where it's some of these people, maybe I'm the one person here doing this. Totally understand. And everybody's really busy, but you're right. It really, I always talk about it. It's like, I'm trying to aim for a dartboard, but someone keeps moving it, but I'm just going to keep going the same direction and hope I hit it. 
it's not going to work. You're not going to win at darts. So really great points. And thank you. Thank you both for some those awesome insights as well. If you had to pick three killer metrics, what would they be? John, I'm going to ask you first. Three killer metrics. I'd say meetings. I'd say mark qualified leads. So again, it's the lead that has been qualified by sales. So it's not just your, here's the scan from the booth. And then I would say, I'd add this social metric. So if we're mm -hmm. doing something on social media, what were social or emails? One of those. So we have in-person, we have a meeting, and then we have digital marketing. So is it more, are we trying to have that conversion rate from a pre-event email to, to drive awareness or in our pre-event follow-up as we built the follow-up email, are we continue that customer journey, that touch point, either to book a meeting or to continue that nurture campaign. Awesome. All right. Great answers. Nicola, I'm going to go over to you. Three killer metrics. You have to pick only three. There is no answer to that because it all <laughs> depends on the event type and the objectives. And to say, for me to say, these are the three things that you were, should look at and they don't align to what success looks like for your event or your organization would be leading you the wrong way believe in this discipline so much. And so I spent, I share a lot on LinkedIn because I can do it at scale that way. Mm -hmm. And if you look at today's post, that'll give you your answer to that actually. <laughs> How do you work with sales to measure the success of an event using data? It is critical. If there is not a partnership between sales and marketing or wherever you sit, it's not going to be successful. And so personally, I start with alignment meetings. I talk to all of my stakeholders to find out what are their key objectives. And usually they all align. And that includes the head of sales and the next levels down in sales. And then mm -hmm. once we've aligned on what success is, I tap them to hold their teams accountable to drive the right results. It's a two-way partnership. I can't deliver you something and expect it to be successful if you don't play your part. So going back to your dating analogy, it's like being married. <laughs> It really is. John, how about you? What do you think about with the sales? Well, I would echo those comments. I think it's, if you're in that corporate role, know who the players are and have that time to build the foundation in that relationship with those leaders. Because if you're going to show up, if you don't have sales buy-in, you might as well not be in an event because they are the ones that are having the conversations or the boots on the ground. Mm -hmm. And then taking it a step further as you have your lead development team or a team that follows up on these, you need to have that relationship with the lead development team and sales, because as we have the handoff from marketing at the event to sales, that funnels through that team. And if they're not working together, it's coming back to you. And then your leaders are saying, what the hell are you doing at this event? There's no results from it. So it's that, it's that marriage, it's that relationship, it's the collaboration and making sure that everyone is aligned. If I could just add on John's point, because he, he makes a really good point. The event doesn't end when the event is done, the last day of the event. Sales are the people that mm -hmm. move what we did forward. So events shouldn't be this three-day moment in time and then they're done and that's all we care about at the events level. We need to make sure that sales are engaged to continue driving that momentum and impact forward. And we well, even, to take it a step further, sorry, Rachel, like we have the... I have a bi-weekly or a cadence set up post-event that we have these touch points throughout. So to, to Nicholas' point, hey, this event happened. We know that you're following up. 
I don't trust you enough to just say that you're following mm -hmm. up. So I'm going to have this time that we're setting up so that we can just have these pulse checks to make sure if we're done, if the leads have been followed up, awesome. Yeah. And I think that's super important, like you said, to normalize that. This is not, that's not an unexpected thing that should be normal to make sure that those pulse checks are there and they're expecting that. So it's not like, oh, I'm doing you a favor by coming in and listening to your stuff about event data. It's like, no, this is part of everyone's job. And I want to ask another question. How many of the events you host or plan are made with the intention of feeding sales funnel versus building general brand awareness? John, I'll start with you. Do you have a spread of which ones are strictly for sales funnel versus brand awareness? Tough questions loaded. So I think, so I represent the solutions and services arm of Lenovo, Lenovo for the hardware. Part of our new business unit within the last two years. And so it was that first year, let's build the awareness. Now where we've transitioned, mm -hmm. that is let's build more of the sales driven conversion leads from this. So it's, it depends ultimately on what the objectives are, but I think for us, it's more of those sales led events where we, and again, this goes to making sure that you know what your portfolio is. Is it around thought leadership? Is it sales? Is it X, Y, and Z? And so as you build your portfolio and strategy, you need to adjust that sometimes year over year to make sure that it's meeting what the business bottom line is. So again, it could be thought leadership. It could be sales led. You need to make sure you're doing it. What's most important to the business. Nicola, how about you? Yeah, agreed. I mean, at the end of the day, it's what's the business strategy will drive the mix. I think you need to look across the customer journey, the entire customer journey from awareness right through to loyalty, adoption, renewal. It doesn't stop when the sale is made, especially in a tech space where I come from, that renewal business is critical. So continuing mm -hmm. that relationship, making sure that the customer is successful is really important. So what I often do is when I work with a client is I'll understand what are their mix of priorities across that funnel? And then how do they build events? Because certain events, like you're not gonna get prospects at your third party flagship conference in Las Vegas from, think about it, if as an event professional, if you're buying tech, are you gonna get on an airplane? No, you might listen to a webinar, but you're not getting on a plane. Same thing for no matter whatever the customer, no matter the product. So matching the right event, fishing where the fish are, but also being focused on your customer success is critical. So that that balance of all based on objectives really depends on your business strategy. Meet the customer where they're at. There's still a need for those large industry events. I think what we're seeing post-COVID, post-pandemic at this point is a shift back to in-person, a desire to go to the Las Vegas or that destination event, gain industry event knowledge to revisit and have conversations. So there's still that need for large industry, but there's also that shift to more of the customer doesn't have the opportunity to go there either because of a budget perspective. So go where they're at and then work with the sales team. Here's that sales conversation to go to their city, to have that conversation, bring the event to them. Mm -hmm. Excellent insights, both of you. And like I said, we packed a lot in today, but it's been amazing. I wanna thank you. That is all the time we have for today. I want to extend our heartfelt thanks to our distinguished speakers, Nicola and John. We're very grateful for your time and knowledge. There was a lot that you shared today in a very short time. So it was amazing. Have a wonderful rest of your day, everyone.
Thanks again to Jonathan Wolf and Nicola Kastner for sharing their expertise with us. And thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love to hear it. Connect with us on social and subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you're listening. Also, don't forget to share the show with your colleagues and friends. You can find transcripts of each episode and key takeaways on bizabo.com forward slash podcast. On behalf of the team, thank you. We'll gather again soon for a new episode of Event Experience. Thank you.